1: Greetings and welcome to the BH Photography Podcast. This week we're doing a special show. We are at Depth of Field 2020, which is the annual show for portrait photographers, event photographers, and wedding photographers held at the Hotel New Yorker down the street from BH Photo in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, this year's show is sponsored by Canon, Nikon, Sony, Profoto, Sigma, and HP. We're going to be speaking to several manufacturers' reps, talk about some of the new toys coming out from the different companies. Lenses, cameras and more from Depth of Field 2020. Stay tuned. Okay, we are here with Steve Heiner, the Senior Technical Manager of Nikon. And uh, Steve, you have something you wanted to tell us?
2: It's all I got to say. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So
1: tell us, though, what does that translate into?
2: That is the D6. It's the brand out. new. Yes, we've been teasing for a long time, but mm-hmm. it's finally here.
1: Okay, so yeah. tell us about it. It's it's right here. It's a beautiful camera.
2: Thank you. So the big uh,
1: difference is between the D five
2: and the D six. Yeah, primarily, I think the the biggest, most uh, the, the biggest differentiator is the autofocus system. Okay. And it requires a little bit of explaining because when I tell you and those who know that the D five had one hundred and fifty three autofocus points, when I tell you this has one hundred and five, you'll say, "What happened?" What happened? Well, what happened was uh, of those 153, a limited number of those were cross-type sensors and even smaller number of those were actually selectable by the photographer.
3: Okay. The others
2: sort of filled in the gaps. On this particular camera, every single one of 105 AF points are triple cross-type AF sensors. So they're all cross type sensors. They're all selectable. And there's 1.6 times more density to this autofocus system in this camera than there was in the D5, in spite of the numbers being less. They're larger. The actual autofocus triple uh, sensors, the cross type sensors, actually slightly exceed the AF mark area that you see through the viewfinder too. So you can be a little less precise about getting it right on your subject and keeping it on your subject. And there's some other cool things too. Like for instance, we've built in 17 different um, group AF areas. Mm -hmm. And what these are, uh, if, if, you know, because this is a sports camera in most, Instances used by photojournalists, sports photographers. If you can imagine shooting U.S. Open tennis, uh, net is in the way. You're shooting across the net. AF marks sometimes will pick up objects that are between you and the subject that you're shooting. This will actually allow you to uh, use an array of AF sensors horizontally across the frame and move that up and down so that you can avoid Uh, objects in the frame and get more AF coverage on a subject.
1: My experience of Nikon, and this goes back for a long time now, is that the Nikon's autofocus system have always been just an edge ahead of everybody else, it seems.
2: Yeah, the 3D dynamic uh, AF, which Mm -hmm. works so well, whether you're, you know, following moving subjects, even for, you know, sort of static photography, the nice thing about that is, a lot of people don't think about using 3D dynamic for even portrait photography. You can you can focus on a person and then change your composition mm-hmm. any way you like and that AF mark sticks to your subject. Right. So it's it's very useful for things beyond just the typical sports photography, but yeah, we've been we've been doing this a long time.
4: Is AF and perhaps continuous burst speed kind of the only directions and I don't mean that in a negative way, but yeah. what are the important directions for these kind of cameras to go as we go forward with, uh, you know, mirrorless coming in this direction and smaller cameras in that direction right, right. And, and even, you know, cropping at high, you know, high high uh, yeah. high resolution cropping, things like that. What do you think? I, I mean, I think, I, I think can I'll, I also sure. throw
1: a little qualifier in that sure. too? Um, just before digital came into being, uh, film cameras hit kind of a similar point where, okay, what more can we do here? Right. because. Every single trick seemed to be played out. It's like, how much more can you do? Like, now we have resolving power to add-on to that, but it's a good point. You have focusing, you have metering. Where do we go from here? So,
2: yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, good questions. Uh, we did make this camera a little bit faster. As we get better at making these mechanical systems, especially in terms of DSLR, making a mechanical shutter mirror mechanism Go a couple of frames faster, each generation is a pretty it's a pretty sizable task. Uh, there's no question that there are limits to what you can do. We have increased the speed of the camera. We've uh, done all of those things that seem really obvious. but I'm glad you ask because in this particular camera, the concentration is really on communication and getting those pictures out of the camera faster. That's one area where this camera really excels.
4: This is kind of exactly what I'm getting
2: at. Yes. Well, and and that's part of the reason why the, the resolution is very modest on this camera at 20 megapixels. Uh, the, the pictures, not only you need to be able to acquire them in really dark situations, which, of course, we all know on a full-frame sensor, having only 20 megapixels makes those pixels really large, yes. really yeah. light-sensitive. But the other aspect of that is that, the file sizes are totally manageable. Now, this is the first time we've had a flagship camera that has our SnapBridge connectivity built into it. Now, and that may not seem like a big deal, but it has Bluetooth that'll keep you connected to your uh, smart device so that every time you shoot a picture, it'll, it'll peel off a two-megapixel version of that and send it directly to your phone every time you hit the button if you want to. You can actually move raw images into your, uh, into your smart device if you want to via Wi-Fi. So it has Bluetooth and it has Wi-Fi built in. In addition to that, on the side of the camera, we have a port where we can add an accessory Wi-Fi, which is a high-powered Wi-Fi accessory that's just like it plugs onto the side of the camera. It's called a WT6, and that will allow you to actually set up the ability to uh, wirelessly send images directly to an FTP site. You can control the camera using a smart device in HTTP mode. There's lots of things you can do with the Wi-Fi, plus, of course... We've even built in, have had for the last few generations, an Ethernet port. Right. Because we're seeing a lot of sports photographers go to hardwired systems because the, uh, the airwaves get so jammed at big sporting events that a lot of times they'll prefer to hardwire this. So uh, so those are things we were thinking about that not only can allow you to control the camera remotely, but get those pictures off this camera keep, as quickly as possible. Keep the news guys
4: uh, in the fold. Right. Too, we yeah. even added a
2: feature now. Of course, this camera has two uh, memory card slots. It'll take XQD and CF Express interchangeably. You can use both types of cards. But what we've actually done is we've built a new mode into the camera where typically if you have two card slots most photographers will reserve one card for their raw images and another for their jpeg images we've added an option that allow you to shoot a large size jpeg to one card and a small size jpeg to the second card that way you can actually be transmitting images from that small card at reduced resolution or at a reduced or compact size you can be sending those while you're shooting more pictures so we're even talking about being able to establish a queue of photographs that can be on their way out of the camera while you, while the photographer Does continues to shoot. this slow you shoot.
1: down at all? measurably. No. Interesting. Because
2: they'll just keep sending in the background. And another cool thing is is we've made a a new feature on this uh, touchscreen so that if you're in the middle of moving a whole bunch of images and you just shoot a new picture that kind of should go to the top of that queue, you can program the camera. So all you have to do is swipe like that or cross or down on the LCD screen. It will take that picture that's playing back on your camera and put it at the top of that queue. So if you had 30 pictures that are waiting to be transmitted and you take one. One that's even better winner. than those, yeah. you just you just swipe the screen, and it'll go right wow. to the top of the that's queue incredible. and send it right yeah. out of the camera. But, yeah.
1: but you still don't have a
2: selfie mode on the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what, if you take the well, picture
4: for you, too? Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a selfie mode, but you have, to be, you have to have kind of a strong left arm <laughs> to do it. Yeah. No, By the way,
1: good. you mentioned uh, that. The camera, I, I have medium-sized hands, and the camera is actually very comfortable in my yep. hand. It feels, uh, the, the ergonomics are really, really nice on it. The grip has a yeah. nice uh, form factor to it. Uh, and the rest of it, 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 it's very well laid out. I have to admit, it really yeah, is.
2: This, uh, this, it feels a lot like a uh, like a D five. One of the things that kind of distinguishes this from uh, the D five visually is that this new peak on top of the uh, on top of the finder, we've actually put a GPS sensor is in that the top. Why of it. Is a bump on yeah, there. that's ah, why there's a bump up on top. Okay. We've actually put GPS in this camera. So not only can you embed uh, GPS data in your photographs also, mm-hmm. but this that'll help you uh, sp- synchronize the clock on this camera to other cameras as well. I mean, so
4: there's like uh, it's probably a Swiss Army knife in the bottom of there too. Right? You can, like, you can like, survive yeah. in the woods with this thing? Yeah now. you I can mean, it's all you you need. start a fire with <laughs> it. Oh, I don't know.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's pretty um, funny. So oh, oh and this is this is this is totally cool. We actually for the first time put in a kensington lock oh perfect hole so oh, wow. when you're oh, setting wow. this up on remotes you can actually Just use a yeah. kensington lock you can mm-hmm. actually uh attach it right to the camera body itself okay. so, so this is
4: a pro tool it is so yeah, a pro this, tool no, okay. seriously this is There's, a well-thought-out approach because yeah, these are lately. realities you got to yeah.
2: deal with yeah. yeah totally
4: so can, wow. we, can we jump over to the d780 quick sure, uh, sure. Right, quickly um, And I guess I'll just start out with my question because I guess the specs in that are out a little bit. Maybe you can refresh my memory. But I've been shooting two D750s for two years and five years respectively, I think. And uh, why would I switch to the D780?
2: Do you shoot any video? Uh, No. Okay. If you don't shoot any video, uh, that's probably where the real news is. But the seven hundred and eighty eighty's got a lot of features that just weren't even – around uh, when the when the D750, for instance, focus stacking. The ability to do focus shift in the camera. We were doing some of that in the office last week. That's an amazing ability to just have the camera automatically shoot as many as up to 300 photographs uh, while adjusting the focus through, uh, mm, through an object. Plane, so yeah. just to get a, an incredible deep depth of field. Um, the ability to do time lapses in camera, from photographs you shot using the interval timer. I shoot a lot of time-lapse photography, and that's one thing. I either had to choose... Well, if I want to create a time lapse in the camera, I can do that, but it won't save any of the pictures. So, all I get is a movie file. Now, on the D780 was the first camera to offer this. Now, the D6 will as well. But if you use the interval timer where you're actually saving all of those individual pictures, you can actually direct the processing to that folder in the camera and actually create a time lapse from those images so those are just a couple of really small things but the metering is better Mm -hmm. the scene recognition system is is more powerful in the 780 than the d750 we've made it more weather sealed we took the Mm -hmm. the small pop-up flash off of it that's Mm -hmm. that's one of the most vulnerable areas on a camera and of Mm -hmm. course by taking that off, it's now pretty much like the D850. It's sealed to about the same extent as that. Okay, um, uh, it's it's yeah. a, it's a it's it's got a lot of refinements in almost every area. But I think one of the big things was because we've actually used a z6 sensor in that camera the live view side of the house for people who shoot video uh that's huge because now this is this is the first dslr we've ever made that will offer a uh, 10-bit output to an external to an atomos uh, ninja for instance so we we kind of kicked up the video game on that for a dslr for people who still like to use dslrs but i think as a d750 still photographer i think there's there's lots of stuff in there. One so you here. mentioned the Z system. That yeah. would be my next question. Yeah. yeah. As a
4: D750 shooter, uh, why should I? Why would I consider? And I am switching to a Z system.
2: Well, there are the obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, it's smaller. It's lighter. It's more compact. It's quiet. And as far as the sort of features that you typically use, being a D750 user, I know that both the Z6 and Z7 would satisfy. Uh, uh all of those requirements right. quite frankly it's a different autofocus system but it's a very capable autofocus system unless you're shooting the very fastest sports right. i'd still give the edge to our DSLRs in that regard but that but the Z cameras are Truly phenomenal, mm-hmm. and the lenses are really what it's all about.
4: Yeah, that's what we yeah, um, yeah.
2: Because because we've really done a, I think a, a great job of of minimizing the breathing and maximizing the sharpness across the range, uh, and and the Z lenses. I think we just introduced two brand new yeah. ones: a twenty yeah, millimeter one point yeah. eight, mm-hmm. uh, which is just phenomenal. And it's you know we've used aspheric elements in there, so you get pinpoint light sources. If you're into shooting stars, it's mm-hmm. beautiful astrophotography lens. Beautiful landscape lens. And then we introduced a 24 to 200 that's about that big. I mean, it's really a small, compact lens Mm -hmm. for a 24 to 200. Mm -hmm. It has built in VR, so it could put it on a Z50 body if you wanted to, which doesn't have internal stabilization. But if you put it on the Z6 or 7, it works with the in body stabilization, gives you five full stops. and if you put it on a Z50, it's a 36 to 300 millimeter equivalent. Yeah. And a little tiny compact lens. Yeah. Yeah, 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 very, yeah. very amazing. And and of course, you know, we're, we're trying to fill out the line. We've got quite a few Z lenses, uh, mm-hmm. not only introduced already, but in the next, uh, you know, year and a half or more, we're going to see an, another... Ten or twelve lenses. I'm you know just,
1: it got me yesterday? I I, I walked by your uh, station here, your your display. Yeah. And I I was excited. I thought there was a new 500 millimeter uh, uh, mirror lens that you were bringing. It was your 50 millimeter 0.095. Oh, the knocks. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. looks like a 500 millimeter uh, yeah. mirror lens. It's a big lens. That thing's huge. You can is, hurt yourself is, picking it is. that
2: thing up. <laughs> It is big. Okay. Yeah. There's no no, <laughs> no question about it. Yeah.
1: By the way, I, I also um, I make a little comment on, on the 780. Yes. Um, I, I use DS, uh, SLRs and DSLRs for the longest time, and uh, I'm more or less a devotee of mirrorless at this point in time. Right. Okay? Yeah. Using the 780, I have to do some readjustments because also I'm looking through an optical finder, which I yes. love optical finder There's a lot to be said about it. However, I learned <laughs> having learned... To appreciate what mirrorless cameras can do, what I, what I liked about the 780 is that I, it was very easy to transition between the optical finder for traditional shooting, and then if I wanted to, I used live view and, mm. and with the touchscreen, mm. and I was basically using a mirrorless camera. Yeah, And it, it was very fluid to go back and forth. So that, to me, is a good attribute of that camera. If you are DSLR yeah. I mean, you want to break into it or you like some of the attributes, this camera kind of gives you both experiences.
2: It is. And, and for the very first time... We now have phase-detect autofocus by virtue of right. using the Z6 sensor in that camera. Mm-hmm. So when you're touching the back of that LCD screen, that's that's phase-detect. We're no longer using contrast-detect mm-hmm. exclusively uh, like in all of our other DSLRs, which, you know, left a lot to be desired. I'll be the first to admit. Um, so, yes, I, 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 that's good mm-hmm. to hear that that experience – that you had that experience because yeah. – Yeah, I did, yeah. And actually
4: – you. I would say that when I do switch to live view with the D750, which I almost only do when I'm trying to get high angles or this yeah. or that, it is – there is a lag. There yeah. is a – Oh, yeah, you, you yeah, get, yeah It yeah, kind yeah. of throws you out of your game for a couple seconds, you know, I've noticed. So and hopefully. now
2: having that phase detect yeah. on there, it's just as fast and, and as accurate as uh, looking through an electronic viewfinder on a Z yeah. camera.
4: So yesterday we had uh, Ike and Tosh here, and uh, Ike was saying – I asked him this variation on this question, which has to do with uh, – the adapter if you're using a z system and if you're gonna use f lenses or z lenses and he's like i'm only shooting the z lenses because they're that much better um and not bad badmouth f lenses which of course mm-hmm. you know i have and love and uh but what's going on with with the adapter and and this idea now are people are you guys pushing the new lenses are you of course happy about we're, the yeah, no, we're,
2: we're very much i mean our core focus right now is on mirrorless but of course uh we have a lot of customers who prefer a native F-mount camera still. Uh, so DSLR business is still very good. Yeah. And and we've got 110 million Nikkor lenses out there too. So yeah. there are a lot of people yeah, yeah, who yeah, really yeah. like their Nikkor lenses. And is
4: the adapter doing okay though? It is. Happy the with it? the yeah.
2: adapter works great. You have yeah. to keep in mind when somebody says, oh, the Z lenses are so much better, I'm just going to stick with those. I totally get that because remember, we, we expanded the mount. We made the mount bigger and the flange back shorter so that the lenses now can be designed a different way you know on the f-mount lenses because we had basically that smaller mount that was kind of the choke points they had to put the big light gathering elements out at the front of the lens now we can put them all the way to the back of the lens you know and so the designs that mirrorless especially the z-mount Allows us to do. Of course, we couldn't do that with the F mount because of those constraints. Not that anybody was even really thinking about it that many years ago, but uh, just because of the sheer variety of lenses that are available in our F mount li- uh, lineup. For what they are, it is an awesome system. And all you got to do is just replace that flange back distance. If you think about that mount adapter as being nothing more than putting that flange back distance on the camera that we took off when we took the mirror box out, that's all it's doing. It's a spacer, basically. There's no optics in it. Is it
1: fair to say, though, that if you take comparable technologies and lenses uh, in a DSLR and a mirrorless, okay, the mirrorless is, is still going to perform. Quicker and respond yes. quicker because of the fact that of, of the flange distance.
2: Yes, everything is just tighter. Well, and it's, closer. It's, it's more. It's more about the the edge to edge sharpness. Okay, you know because we're moving elements farther back in the optical design that we can reach those those corners of the frame all the way out to the edges of the frame, and so the engineers are are taking advantage of these new dimensions mm-hmm. that allow them to design lenses that are sharper all the way to the edges, and of course we're still using all of the different types of uh, optical technologies like the different coatings and, of course, the S-spheric elements and the ED elements and combinations of the two in order to uh, ameliorate those those chromatic aberrations that can occur. So at the same time, we're changing the physical designs of the lens. We're also bettering all of those other technologies that we pioneered in our F-mount lenses, but we're now we're uh, mm-hmm. applying that to what's our the, Z-mount. Uh,
4: what's the hottest Z-mount lens?
2: Well, I, you know, the knock gets a lot of attention for uh, not being a, a lens that's going to be all that popular. I, it's, you know, it's a pricey, it's heavy, it's manual focus, <laughs> but that one's getting a lot of attention. But I think everybody's really waiting for the seventy to two hundred. So. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to introduce a 14 to 24. So we'll have the fourteen twenty four, twenty four seventy, seventy two hundred, 2470, right. 7200 all no, into 2.8. Right, right, right. Uh, and and then once, once we done, get right? that, <laughs> yeah, well, we're not going to rest, <laughs> but the, everybody's waiting for that, right. though.
1: Yeah, um, which brings me to my next
3: question. What can oh. you tell us about the D7? <laughs> 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 give,
2: give, give me a few days, will you? The 14
3: to 24, uh, 28 on the F mount, that's going to be a tough lens to beat, huh? I mean, that's a, that's it a, will, but yeah.
2: i've I've seen the uh, i've seen the mock-up or the prototype of the fourteen twenty four for the mirrorless system. It's it's, it's amazing. Yes, is it, is it it's smaller? considerably smaller. Oh, okay. yes. Oh, yeah. Because
3: <laughs> yeah. that, yeah, that thing with the bulb, yeah. that thing's huge. Yeah, it's that still is, a good yeah. size lens, but yeah. it doesn't
2: it doesn't have that huge front element like the, that. Oh, well that. Yeah. yeah. That's,
3: that's, so, what's the main selling point for the D six versus the Sony A nine
2: uh the ruggedness the ruggedness with, yeah. without a doubt because yeah. uh uh and and obviously i mean we're doing 14 frames per second with a mechanical shutter they have the ability to go to 20 frames right Uh, with, you know with, so with we're,
3: electronic right yeah, yeah
2: exactly so there there are certain aspects the the other thing is the communications that i was talking about uh, I think I think we've put a real emphasis on that in the D6,
3: the, f- the physical Ethernet and that, uh, that stuff. Absolutely, yeah,
2: yeah. get moving. Those images out uh, becomes the difference between my photo agency getting the job and that photo agency getting the job. You know, it's it literally comes down to that. They both shoot great photographs, but who can move that picture faster? Yes, yeah, a good point. Uh, And yeah. I and I think that it it comes down to uh, a competition essentially. You know, you're there shooting competitive sports, and the photographers are competing as well and i and i think that you know we could go head to head on feature to feature and all those sort of things but i think as a as a working unit one of the most important aspects of this is i think we've got the photo stuff pretty well taken care of but it now it's the communication it's trying to get those pictures where they need to go uh,
1: Steve Heiner thank you so much and uh, again Nikon has uh, some neat products a new uh D6 and the 20 millimeter 18 uh, s and the 242 200 200 right that's an f42 uh 6.3 6.3 we'll hold you to next time for the D7 information okay, okay? <laughs> <All right.
2: laughs> thanks okay. for joining us thank you guys
1: Okay, we are back at Depth of Field 2020, and we're being joined by Joe Edelman, who is an Olympus visionary and educator.
5: Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here. It's exciting. So
1: you have, uh, you and Olympus have a new camera. It's the OM-DEM1. By the way, I always love your naming systems. <laughs> um, it's the Mark III, uh, yep. and it has, you're toting it as the world's best image stabilization now. I want to get right into it with a question. Sure. Because a year ago or so we spoke about the last latest greatest camera from you guys yep. and it had a 6.5 stop image stabilization system yep. from what i always led to believe was as fast as is possible because of the rotation of the earth <laughs> <laughs> this is what i was told now I, again wow. you know, I, okay. I went to high school but i didn't question right. that, that stuff. was before at, the earth got flat so exactly <laughs> but now we're at a stop better than that
5: 7.5 right okay so, well, there, well, there's well, a couple d- things um, as, as far as the rotation of the Earth thing. Um, I would suggest that you spend a little less time on the internet and YouTube. But uh, <laughs> I think it was one of you guys who told no, me that actually. No. <laughs> <No, I'm kidding. laughs> um, so they, they've what they've done is they took some of the technology from that camera. The camera you're referencing is the EM1X. They mm-hmm. developed a new gyro sensor for that. Okay. And they have brought that forward and added some you know new super secret tweaks, which obviously I'm not privy to all of those specific details, but, but yeah, I mean, you're able to get up to seven and a half stops. Now, there is a caveat to that, just so we're not misleading anyone. Several of the Olympus lenses, like the uh, 12 to 100 and the 300 millimeter, have image stabilization built into the lens. So that so seven and a half steps is going to come from the combination, combination of the body mm-hmm. and those two lenses. Uh, on any other lens, you're looking at at least five steps. Of image stabilization, okay, without without that built in,
3: yeah. I actually, I had a chance. I just wrote a review on the Mm -hmm. EM1 Mark III, and uh, I had a chance to shoot the twelve to one hundred, and I I was trying to to get blurry images at night. I was trying to, yeah, you know, I was at like. You know, I don't know, eighty-five millimeter at like at like yep. one one sixth of a second, and I was still
5: getting yeah, sharp interest. It's, it's yeah. incredible yeah. what they've done, and Olympus is Olympus being a Japanese company, like many of them though. But they're very conservative about how they advertise their specs. Mm-hmm. They are advertising that you can do handheld up to four seconds. That's what they're advertising. Uh, spend a couple minutes on Flickr and look up the E-M1X. You'll find people that were handheld, and that. Keep in mind, that's the bigger, slightly heavier camera. Right. People doing handheld shots at 20 seconds, which is insane. So the capabilities with a little bit of effort are incredible. Should so well, one question that. I have is that yeah.
1: I, I know that it's a, it's, a, it's a given that when you do use image stabilization, even though it guarantees you a sharper picture, mm-hmm. Generally speaking, it, the, the effect of image stabilization actually blurs the picture slightly. Am I right or wrong about that? There's, there's a slight image degradation. And my question is, the more image stabilization you have, the more
5: steps you have, does it change that
1: slight grade of so degradation? Full, dis-
5: full disclosure, I am not a guy that's into the weeds and the tech I'm a very visual photographer they make Um, up stuff no I I will tell you I'll tell you my experience which is what I try to share Mm -hmm. my experience is I always have the image stabilization turned on on my camera even on a tripod I never turn it off even on a tripod I never turn it off it's on all the time it's been on since the day I bought the camera I'm a studio shooter I sometimes shoot handheld I sometimes shoot tripod I have had images from the E-M1 Mark II, the predecessor to this new camera. Right. I have had images for the last year, it just came down on a 48 foot wide billboard, 48 feet long by 14 feet tall, tack sharp. There's a video on my YouTube channel, you can see close up shots of it. I've had images that Olympus has printed for trade shows at eight feet wide by six feet tall and mounted at 10 feet in the air. You could stand on the ground and count every single eyelash tack sharp. So. I wouldn't dispute what your understanding is from a highly technical standpoint, or maybe, uh, I don't mean to be negative, but a pixel-peeping standpoint. Okay, yeah, yeah, but yeah. from a practical standpoint, absolutely not. Okay, It's not an issue.
1: Just one of the, why would you leave image stabilization on if you're on a firm tripod?
5: Because there's no reason for me to turn it off. It doesn't impact my shots. But what about way. the mechanism?
1: Again, and the reason I'm asking is that I've always been told that if you do that, you risk damaging the
5: mechanism itself. So... Uh, No, I've never been told that with with an Olympus camera. Never had a problem with that. And keep in mind, the Olympus camera, and I don't know if this is part of the cause. Again, I'm not a super techie guy, but unlike other brands with their image stabilization, the Olympus sensor is is not mounted on rails. It's not locked onto the camera. It floats on magnets. So uh, back in my days before becoming an Olympus shooter with another big brand, when image stabilization first came out, I hated it in the sense that the image in the viewfinder jumped because of the image, yeah. which to me was just annoying. So I never used it. I relied on old school photography techniques to get get my shots done. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have that with an Olympus camera. There, there's no jumping. There's no jolting. It's you're looking at a smooth image. Period. So never had a problem. And
4: what's your what's your go-to Olympus in the studio? What, what camera do you have on your tripod?
5: Uh, the EM-1 Mark II was the sure. camera that got me to make the switch for the mm-hmm. last year. I've been using the EM-1X, and now the EM-1 Mark III will hands the down become yeah. my primary camera. Right. The EM-1X for me, it represented just honestly incredible technological advances in photography. I mean, Olympus just does not get enough credit for some of the things they bring to market, which other manufacturers then have to develop. So I really liked a lot of those those new features, that new technology. And of course, it was also a quality upgrade. But the the Mark II was the camera that made me switch. So having that similar form factor with the EM1 Mark III and then the new features and a lot of the tech that was introduced in the EM1X, hands down, like that's my go-to.
3: Can we talk about some of the new cool features? I think sure. you know, that are in the uh, the Mark III, the em yeah. One Mark III, and also I think there's, some of them are in the M One X as well. Um, yes. Yep,
5: yep. yep. Well, I mean, uh, I guess some of my favorites off the top, especially since I, I'm uh, a portrait guy, I do you know portraits and fashion portraits and beauty? Uh, the handheld high res is is actually really cool. I don't honestly have that many situations where I need a 50 megapixel file, but to be able to you know hand that camera and do a 50 megapixel file where what the camera is actually doing is taking 16 images for a total of 300 mega, 320 megapixels of information and then combining it is incredible. And, and this is with pixel shift or is yes. this not pixel? Yep. No, it's, it's, it's doing a pixel shift. Okay. okay. But it's doing it very rapidly. And I'll, I'll raise my hand and say that I was the biggest doubter. Of this, it was you know introduced in the EM1X. It was a bigger camera and it was heavier, and I never really had a need for it. So honestly, I never tried it. So when they put the Mark III in my hands, I'm like, okay, this is going to be my camera. It's time to try this, and it's amazing. First image I did, I was shooting tethered, came up on a 27 inch screen, and I blew it right up to the eye to look at the the eyelashes, and it was amazing. And, you know, to be clear for all photographers that might be listening, it doesn't mean that you can have a dancer dancing around in your studio and, and, you know, do the pixel shift. That's not going to work. I was photographing a subject that was sitting relaxed I didn't give my subject any special directions like don't move, don't breathe, none of that. Mm-hmm. It was just a straight up. No, I mean, the, the reason for and that is a, it,
3: the reason for that is a processing delay. Is yeah. that is that that's there b- is a processing shots. right. Yeah. There is a processing delay, but it's, it's also it's, the
1: fact that you you have sixteen pictures that are not in register essentially that have right. to be placed back into together. register, and that's why that's happening. Right. Exactly. Yeah, right. No. So w- as far as. Uh, motion is concerned, mm-hmm. what are the limitations of motion when you're using this handheld mode? Because I've thought about this a lot
5: because right. there's
1: a limit to how much movement you could have and Correct. still get a
5: sharp image. So for the sake of a portrait, honestly, there's no limitations. I, I am not aware of any specific details in terms of rates of movement or anything like that that this okay. has published. But I can tell you what the camera does, which is I think amazing also, it does it 16 images. So what you get in, on your disc in terms of your output, yeah. you actually get three files when you do the handheld high res. You get the uh, Olympus.orf raw file, which is the combined 16-image com- combined. It's the composite. Then you get a .ORI file, which is also a raw file, that is the first frame of the 16. So on the chance that you had motion, You've
1: got
4: you still picture. got the
5: first frame, hmm. okay? You just don't have it at fifty megapixels, yeah. And then it also gives you a composited JPEG oh, wow. as well. Oh, so it, I mean, it, it's that comes off the card as you, yeah, as, that's yeah. Great. So yeah. so yeah, you're coming hmm. o- you're coming off. So with there's three a lot, lot of post files. going on as soon as you hit the shutter. It's, it's, it, it's already doing your exactly. work. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's, it's doing the work for you. So again, it's not something that I'm going to use all the time, but that's really cool. Some of the other features that are important: uh, new processor. They have a TruePic nine. The EM1X was a TruePic eight. Um, they, uh, have improved the algorithms, which were already amazing for the autofocus and the face detection. They're even faster, even, even sharper. And even though I'm a portrait guy, I got to try this out, um, at the end of December in the desert in Arizona for, uh, landscape and night sky photography. Mm-hmm. They came out with uh, a feature that is referred to as starry AF And what it does is, yeah, I know, (laughs) trust me, that joke's being made already. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) It has solved the autofocus problem for photographing stars in the night sky. And it's got two modes. Uh, One is basically a speed mode that you can hand-hold it. And it locks onto the stars and focuses tack sharp. And I can tell you, when I went into the desert with a couple of the other Olympus visionaries who shoot this stuff routinely, I spent the day peppering them with questions so I didn't look like a total fool when I went out there. (laughs) So I at least had an idea of how I was going to set up my shot and what I was going to do. And they told me all the nightmare stories about how mostly like every photographer that does Night Sky has kind of got their own little secret sauce about how they get the focus. And even then, they'll go spend a night out and come home and realize every shot they've got is out of focus. The very first three shots that I took, tack sharp, like it locked on. Completely sharp. I actually looked like I knew what I was doing. I have a video that just came out there on YouTube. I was really pretty stoked. I mean, I'm not going to win any awards with him, but <laughs> like for the first time I'm
4: out trying it, it's like <laughs> son of a gun. These and how do you get in into that that mode? That focus mode is there? Is it through the menu? Uh, or is yeah, you
5: can way? you can do it. Uh, you can do it through the menu, or you can do it on your super control panel. Olympus has a super control panel that comes up on the back of the camera. So yeah. once you activate it in the menu, it becomes uh, basically an additional stop on the super control panel. You just scroll over to the right, and then you mm-hmm. you've got your mm. your star settings there. Uh, and then the second one uh, is um, a more precise version of the Star AF, which is designed for best use on both tripods and with telephoto lenses. So it's, yeah, it's really cool, amazingly cool
3: stuff. What about um, what, what the uh, Live ND feature? I thought that well, was pretty the live interesting. Live
5: ND is cool. Uh, so Live ND, uh, the best way to describe it to most people is think of those waterfall pictures with the creamy water from the long exposure where you're using neutral density filters. So this is a feature that was introduced in the EM1X. They've brought it over to the EM1 Mark III. Uh, what's really cool about it, again, being a portrait guy, I'm also known for doing a lot of DIY stuff on YouTube. So... Um, Like with Olympus's Live Composite, when I first became an Olympus shooter, it was a goal of mine to figure out how I could hack that and do portraits with it and came up with some really cool light painting stuff. So Live ND was kind of my my last challenge. And what I've been doing now is using the Live ND for portraiture and creating really cool, creamy backdrops, literally just by waving material or using a fan and blowing material behind my subject... And you can throw some colored lights at the material, and you get these very random, cool. really interesting, kind of creamy backgrounds. Mm-hmm. But it, it gives you uh, up to five steps of neutral density in camera. So it's not actually filtering. What it's doing is similar to the Olympus Live composite. It's compositing the images so that you get that same neutral density effect, and it looks exactly the same. You're not sacrificing any of the yeah. technique.
3: And you can know? preview what it's gonna look like
5: you can. ahead of time, which, which is really interesting. Yes, public service announcement. Understand, though, that if you're going to preview it, be prepared, it can be a little nauseating. Oh yeah. At yeah. <laughs> so yeah.
6: It's, 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 it's actually tr- kind it's of trippy. really interesting it's, to, it's, see it, right, to
5: see it previewed. Um, but yes, it, it, you do have the ability to actually preview it in real time <laughs> yeah. on your LCD, like a live view. Um, but indeed that kind of freaks a lot of people out. So, you know, so. Um, let me
4: just throw in here too, that, uh, in addition to the OMD EM1 Mark three, uh, Olympus also announced the new pen camera, mm-hmm. which is a smaller everyday carry street photo camera that I had a chance to enzyme review and, um, check it out. It's pretty cool. I enjoyed it. You know, I was actually using it in comparison to another, uh, another brand's, uh, APS-C camera and, uh, I appreciate the fast focus and, and getting some street shots done. So yeah. uh, keep yep. that in mind. Um, yep. And they
5: also dropped the new lens along with these too. They have the uh, the twelve to forty five. It's an f four right. pro. Um, so it's super super small. So on your on your thirty five millimeter equivalent, that's a you know twenty four to ninety, which mm. is actually a really it's great a nice range, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's a good all really around range to have. That, yep,
4: it's real a small F4 lens, weather sealed. F4. It's an f four, yep. yep. The okay. mm-hmm. and that that pen just is the EPL ten EPL ten EPL ten. EPL 10 yep. Thank
1: you, mm-hmm. yeah. okay. EPL ten. Okay. Okay. Okay, Joe, thanks for filling us in all the new toys from uh, Olympus. Uh, uh, People want to catch up on uh, the new products from Olympus as well as your work. Where can they go?
5: So for the Olympus information, uh, it's Mm www.getolympus.com, and you'll find lots of videos, spec sheets, all kind of information on them. Uh, And the best place to check my stuff out is at www.joeedelman.com. Dot com. You'll find links to my YouTube channel there and all my social
4: Instagram friends. also Joe and Edelman. Instagram. Yep, Joe uh, Edelman. Okay. okay,
1: and that's Joe Edelman, who is the Olympus visionary and educator. Thanks so much for educating us today. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, enjoy appreciate appreciate the show.
7: It. Appreciate Thanks. It.
1: Okay, we are now welcoming Char Taylor from ProPhoto. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. This is your first time with us. This is kind of okay. nervous. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, we we'll try to be easy on you. Anyway, we'll be fine. See, <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're actually wrapping up uh, two days of Depth to Field 2020, and you have been on the floor here uh, at the ProPhoto station. Zillions of photographers coming through here Literally. of all different levels. Uh, you've had models here in little sets, and people are shooting. What? Kind of things are people looking for and asking about as far as pro photo? What are people curious about right
8: now? So I mean the obvious thing is always what light are you using? Mm-hmm. Is it a B10? Is it a B1X? Is it someone said to me, Oh, I have is that an A ten? And mm. no, we don't make an A ten. It's a B ten. <laughs> so I you know people get confused with the letters and numbers. Sure. Um some are newcomers, a lot are newcomers. Um, but some have experience with it. So there's been a lot of questions about the strobes themselves, yeah. but also the umbrellas. Uh-huh. Um, yesterday, we were using a um, umbrella deep, large XL. Mm-hmm. And there were some people who didn't know we made umbrellas, mm. which I thought was interesting. Um, mean,
4: even the ones with the big labels that say Profile. Yeah,
8: one? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> been in business for how many years? And You make umbrellas? Really? Yeah, of course. Um,
4: well, it's raining today. So today,
1: yes. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. And it was
8: a translucent umbrella. So mm-hmm. that added to mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, oh my gosh, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that was great. And then the biggest thing I would say is the air remotes. Okay. People were really curious. Like, what is that little small thing on the camera? How does that mm. work? It's an air remote, just right. like a pocket wizard. It's right. the same thing. And um, so people were really like, oh, does B&H sell this? Where can I find it? Many people. Um. So that was really um, a surprise, I would say. Right. Yeah. And just using it with third-party a- strobes. Any advantages
4: over the... Over the um, Over-pocket wizards? Over-pocket wizards, yeah.
8: Uh, no, you can get... The, it doesn't... Same idea. Yeah, same yeah, idea. Yeah, Triggers yeah, the strobes. Yeah, choose different go. groups. Yeah. Is anybody
1: head-to-head. using hardwire anymore? The PC cords... Uh, uh, Anyone use it I anymore? don't
8: talk to people, but I did have someone call last week who said that they would not buy our B10 unless we add a flash sync port. Really? Yes. He was adamant. That was the first.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, uh,
8: not so much. People want to back up, some people, you know. I
1: could get that part of it. I can. Um, Are are people more interested in the battery uh, units or the the off-camera? Off-camera
8: and and battery. No one is really asking about monolights at all. Really? uh, Or Propax, as far as this group is concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, It was strictly B10. A few people asked about the on-camera A1X. Right. um, But it was mainly B10. So... I imagine ex- with the
1: exception of really large studio settings, you don't really need these monster packs. Exactly. You can do an awful lot with a small bag of little units right. used correctly. And all of your uh, – a good deal of your uh, uh, lighting accessories are interchangeable exactly. from one – so you, you, you can go advantage. out with a little off camera thing and then you can go back in the studio and right. you got the same box well, or whatever. Why wouldn't you want
8: the portability? Exactly. You know. So and that's what we had some questions about duo kits, you know, do you, do you sell a kit? Yes, we have two heads in a kit. Mm-hmm. What's the price? I don't know. <laughs> <Whereas> Cliff <laughs> the It's counter. reasonable. Yeah, exactly, of course. <laughs> so it was it was a good um focus on B10s mainly, mm-hmm. I would say. B10s, yeah, yeah.
4: Pretty popular. They are. Yeah. And do you have a favorite uh, light piece of gear down here that uh, you like to Honestly, use? Honestly, yeah. What's your own work?
8: Uh, my own work? Oh, yeah. uh-huh. Nikon <laughs> user. <laughs> uh-huh. As far as, I mean, I you know, I'm one of those people where I prefer natural light, okay. but I do use my Nikon speed lights. Mm-hmm. But the A1X to mm-hmm. me was, is a game changer. Yeah. Like I, the recycling speed, the consistency between each exposure or each yeah. flash, yeah. Um, just not having to wait for um the overheating was a big issue for me with Nikon speedlights. Mm-hmm. So the A1X is just beautiful. You have That's a lot good. more
1: power coming out of the yes, uh, ProPhoto, right? Yes, yeah.
8: exactly five times, I believe. Oh, yeah, it's a, yeah. A,
1: a considerable. Yeah,
8: it's yeah. not just
4: one stop. It's right. a lot.
8: So I would say A1X is my favorite to cool.
4: use. Actually, I'm a Nikon shooter and it's something I've been considering myself. Yeah, yeah And the fact yeah, that yeah. you can use it yeah. as an
8: air remote right. is also uh, someone else. Uh, I showed a customer that, yes, or a visitor yesterday, and he was like, what? Mm. I didn't know. Like, he was so amazed by that. Right, so right, right, right. I would say that. Cool. You have to
1: really keep up on lighting. It used to be lighting was lighting and that was that. And then you you learned it and you knew it for the next 20 years. (laughs) But now there are so many uh, uh, accessories and different routes and different ways of tying in. It's not just a lighting system, a camera system. They're a system now. Mm-hmm. Everything is talking to everything, whether you know it or not. Exactly.
8: Exactly. Even just the fact that we have our own um, our own pro Photo app where mm-hmm. you can connect the B10 via Bluetooth. That's adding another element to things. And, you know, and so that's adding more questions. People are a little bit confused and wondering if it works with this and it works with that. You know, can I use my A1X with it? Well, the A1X doesn't have Bluetooth in it, so technically no. But if you purchase the Connect the Air remote, which has Bluetooth in it, you can use it. So it's kind of like a you know a step in between, but right. you can use There's it with your it. iPhone and Android. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it's it's technology is getting more and more yeah. advanced, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. fun. Yeah, Interconnected for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: wonderful. I think you know one of the things worth mentioning is that uh, especially with the uh, B series lights. If you are a travel photographer or you're a photographer who has to get on planes, period, and go anywhere, okay, you can't travel with these big units anymore. These right. big, st- You can't do – I used to travel with three cases of lights. It's impossible. You can't. You yeah. couldn't afford to do it anymore. Now you can stick everything, including the stands, into one little bag. In exactly. It. Pop it in over your seat and you it's can on. do it. And that to me is a huge, huge, huge benefit. Just knowing that you don't even have to be away for- part with your gear.
8: Right. Exactly. you know and'
1: just watching is that my case yeah my case is right, they start right coming right, off right. Of it? <laughs> right. so yeah it's pretty cool um any other thoughts about anything
8: um you know we had a few people who are rental customers and mm-hmm. they, they're like you know I, I'm always renting the b1x um you know I, I think I'm just gonna make the plunge and just get the b10 it's just it's just so great like they the, the ease of use of it really stood out to people you know you really don't have to think too much Specifically because of the TTL, obviously. Um, but just navigating through the menu structure. Um it's it's just so simple. So I would say that we there are some people who are used to renting who will no longer be doing that. They will be purchasing a B ten. So that was interesting. That's another
1: thing that's also worth mentioning is that any place that rents photo gear rents pro photo. Right. I don't know of any other manufacturer that could say that really. Exactly.
8: Yeah. So many people call like into, you know, customer support and they ask me, well, which one should I get? Why don't you rent it? It's not just one day. That's it. Try it out. It's really easy. But like you said, does it work for your workflow? You know, just that's it. So.
1: (laughs) Shard Taylor Profoto, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure talking with you.
8: Thank you. you. Thank you, guys. Thanks Thanks a lot.
1: All right. We're going to take a short break and we come back more from Depth of Field 2020. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the BH Photography Podcast.
0: The best way to support the show is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For links to gear and more information on today's guests, check out the show notes in your podcast app or visit our homepage on the BH Explorer website and join the BH Photography Podcast Facebook group. And now, back to the show. We
1: are at Depth of Field 2020, and our guest right now is Casey Krugman, who is with Luxley, uh, RGB creative, made in Norway. Welcome. Yes,
0: made in Norway. Hi, everybody.
1: <laughs> How's it going? Anyway, Luxley, those are uh, um, LED lights, and you guys have been doing gangbusters here with some new products. Tell us
0: about it. Well, the light that we're debuting right now is our new two-foot-by-one-foot fixture we call the Tyco. Which is a gigantic Japanese drum. You may have seen it when they, you know, perform on stage and they're just hitting this huge, like ten-foot diameter drum with giant wooden sticks. Um, when
1: I enter in the morning, they usually hit one of those things as I punch in in the morning.
0: Is that is that what that noise is? Yeah, that's. In I've been years. wondering about that. I mean, it is it is loud. Yeah, let yeah, me tell I you. Heard them, i heard that. How know. similar to a gong is it? <laughs> you know, there, there were there leaves. were people asking me to asking if I was going to make it a gong, but you you can't call it a gong because it's not round. Yeah. So I have. I have my own, I, I, I have the entire thing mapped out in terms of instruments. My my music teacher would be just <laughs> so happy that I remembered the names of all of these different and instruments. Do you, do you suggest uh, the names? Or is that your yeah, call usually? Yeah, the viola was my, uh, yeah, uh-huh. all of them. I uh, I really painted myself into a corner when we did the timpani yeah. because <laughs> the timpani, I was like, oh, well. And then they. I was like, oh, it's a one by one. Yeah, of course it's a timpani. Right. He said, oh, well, we need a two by one. Oh, (laughs) cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right. (laughs) Now we need... (laughs) Now, how many lights does Luxie offer now? So right now we are offering four lights, Uh starting with our smallest, which is the Viola Mark II, Uh which is our five-inch panel. Then we have our Cello, which is our 10-inch panel. And then our Timpani, which is a one-by-one, and our Taika, which is our two-by-one. The nice thing, the thing that we really strive for is to make sure that no matter which light you get, it's all going to work the same way. All of them have Bluetooth built in. All of them are going to be RGBAW systems. Um, the two of the lights are going to work a little bit differently just in terms of the way the LEDs are constructed, but they are going to offer the same color saturation, the same uh, white color range from 2800 to 3000 Kelvin in the larger units, mm-hmm. three to 10,000 in the smaller units. Full saturation RGB, 150 built-in digital gel filters mm-hmm. with variable color temperature white point underneath it. Yeah, we and, got one
4: going here right now in the studio. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I heard you talking to Alan a bit about the way the lights, the color adjusts.
0: Can you kind of sum that up for us a little bit? So the there are a lot of different ways to, you know, use RGB and the two sources of white light. We refer to it as RGB AW, stands for amber and white. The amber being more of a tungsten color temperature, 3000 to 3200 Kelvin, and the white, which is more of a traditional daylight, 5600 Kelvin area. So, what there are a lot of different types of light out there that will do an RGB and two types of white light situation. And what they'll do is they'll shoot out the white light and the RGB and mix that all in against a hard diffuser, like a very almost opaque diffuser system. And then the diffuser actually is your, becomes your emitter board. That is your source of light. The way that we do it is we actually build the color temperature and the different types of color on each individual LED, which is how we can make the smaller light units where you can have it very, very thin, and you don't need a diffuser. It's always nice to use a diffuser, but you don't need to. On the Tyco, actually, it comes with one diffuser. It's a little bit of a separated panel. So the diffuser it comes with, you get about 9,800 lux. When you remove the diffuser panel, it jumps up to 15,500 lux yeah. at a similar distance. Yeah. So if you really need the punch, you can do it, which is one of the the advantages of the system.
1: So each 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 lamp is essentially a self-contained unit with all of the colors built in.
0: Yep. And each of them, when you, uh, when you watch it and you work through it, you will see all of those elements light up at some point. Mm-hmm. The booth that we have set up here at Depth of Field, we actually have two lights set up just side by side of the model and they are cycling uh, through all of the RGB spectrum and they're cycling at, complementary ends. Mm-hmm. So over the 20-second cycle period, you will have just constant variability of colors, but they'll always be mixing in a very interesting way.
4: And that's something that anybody can do. You can just set that up on the back yeah, of the... Yeah, you can
0: absolutely set that up. We offer it through our um, Composer app, mm-hmm. which we we started out with the Conductor app, and then we did a complete redesign and added in a ton of new functionality. And so we had to we had to advertise how much more you could do. So we called it the Composer. Mm-hmm. And so you're still able to do all of your controls. You're able to connect up to nine lights simultaneously. I say that. That depends on the mobile device, of course, because yeah. everybody has slightly different hardware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But along with all of the controls, you're able to save them now. You're able to upload them to the cloud and download them onto any device. The user interface is exactly the same in iOS and Android and one of the new features in this in in the app we call sequence mode and mm-hmm. what you're able to do is control any of your lights and you can take any of your custom presets that you set and then you can assign it to either all lights, one light,
2: wow. groups
0: of lights wow. and then you can set that up to be timed or manually driven and so you can time things out specifically you can speed it up you can slow it down mm-hmm. And we have a couple of new features that are going to be coming up in a future release, um, which are going to add even more functionality to it.
4: And, and how much of, of the controls are only on the app? A good amount not, of them?
0: Or no, no. I mean, depending on it depends on the fixture. Obviously, okay. with the smaller units, there's not a lot of real estate right, 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 in order to be able to. For instance, on the Viola Mark II, it does have the 10 special effects built in. If you want to customize those, you have to go to the app to really customize it because we don't have enough room on the screen to actually allow you to do that. That without sounds pretty incredible. Going through no? you know uh, ten different things.
4: Wow. Sounds like a really incredible app. I mean, in terms of its functionality. We yeah. we,
0: we tried very hard yeah. and we were very, very lucky over the over the time that we've developed it because the developer and the programmer for the actual app is also the person that does the firmware engineering for each of the lights. Mm-hmm. So and the nice thing is he knows everything. And so it's very easy for him to do things.
1: He could work globally on it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm.
0: all of the, all of the engineering and manufacturing is over in Norway mm-hmm. and, um, they're, they're a great group of guys. It gets, it gets really annoying when they correct me on my English. but it's great guys. I mean, it's, it's, it's offensive, but they're great. And um, yeah, I drive them crazy every once in a while with very, very silly ideas. They're engineers and I'm yeah. like, oh, well, what if it does this? And they're Good like, no. <laughs> don't think
1: about it. <laughs> well, so you ever ask them, what, what do they know from daylight? It's dark there half, <laughs> half the time. Well, it's but, like, what do they know
4: from daylight?
0: Well, but during the summer, then it's light there all the time. That's so true. they got <laughs> they gotta just make sure they get it in while it Well, can. honestly,
4: they, I mean, if they, they're getting that range of daylight in the summertime, they're seeing the whole color spectrum. Exactly. In, yes. You know, and in, in and in over a longer amount of time, they can study it. And
0: yeah. then they go really, really up north, like near the Russian border, right. and they can get the Northern Lights all the time. There you go. And that is. There you go. Yeah,
4: those so are always gorgeous. You were here a couple of years ago, I think, at here optic. I forget, and yeah, I think there was one or two lights at that point. But since then, I know these lights have won awards. They've kind yeah. of shot to the top in terms of... you bulldozing uh, the, the market. Uh, you know. Yeah, so congratulations. Thank and, you very uh, much. And after that uh, incredible uh, amount of uh, initial success, um, what was the next light? What was the next kind of step from there to kind of capitalize on the success?
0: I mean, the biggest one... So when we, when we won the Lucy Technical Award mm-hmm. for the cello, um, we had just released the timpani as well. So we had our one-by-one, one, we had our 10-inch... The next light after that and what we were developing at the time was actually the Mark II of okay. our original viola. And that was the – the viola always is the first one. Mm-hmm. So whenever a new wave of tech comes out, the viola is the first system that gets it okay. because, it, you know, she has a personal place in my heart. She's <laughs> the first one. <of all, laughs> <laughs> baby, my yeah, baby. I mean, That's yeah, first love, yeah. Yeah, we spent um, – we spent two years just under the development of that system. You're starting to cry. I could see. I am. Yeah, it's, I It's. Know. you know, I don't mean to string you along. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. The puns are not going to get <laughs> <you>. <laughs> Um But yes, yeah, so on the cello and the timpani, they were four-die LEDs. So they had one type of white light and then red, green, and blue all built into a single mm-hmm. diode. Now on the Viola Mark II, as well as the Tycho it's... 5-die, so it's both types of white light and RGB built into a single diode. So now it's all right in one chip, so you get full panel coverage no matter what you're doing. So the Viola Mark II was the first one to do that, and then I said, well, if we're going to upgrade the LEDs, then we got to bring it up with the rest of the system. So it's got to have filters, and it's got to have special effects. They were not happy with <laughs> me when they first did that.
1: <laughs> they I made mean, you doing your job. That's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I have a question for you. were We're overlooking the shooting area here at uh, depth field and there are what about a half a dozen manufacturers of lighting and a majority of them now are led whereas mm-hmm. if you go back five years ago it was not the case so leds have gotten past all of their original limitations of uh, uh, brightness color consistency there were fl- there was a whole bunch of uh, issues with early LED technology, and we've obviously come a long way. What are the big hurdles you have to hit right now? And aside from you always want to have more and more and more and more light, but what are the big problems right now or issues?
0: Well, one of them is always just maintaining accuracy. You know, in a in a Tycho, we have over 1,500 individual LEDs. So going through, and when, when, these, when these get constructed, they go through two rounds of what they call burn-in for an hour, where it's just left on at 100%, and it cycles just to make sure that everything's a good color temperature. It then goes through its first round of calibration. They are all calibrated at the factory. And actually, we give you the photometric data sheet, which shows you exactly how that particular fixture performs. And then they do another round of burn in, and then they do another round of calibration just to make sure that everything is as accurate as it can possibly be. But it's 1,500 individual LEDs, so that's a lot to make sure still goes through that process and does it. But I'll tell you, one of the biggest ones is um, one of the biggest things we're running up against, and just the balance that we have to strike is efficiency of power versus output, Mm -hmm. because yeah, we could make this a, you know, 500 watt fixture or something along those lines and we could just blast output. But at the same time we want, you know, I'm, I, I was always a field shooter. I did documentary work. I did short work. I, and when I was teaching, I would teach kids out in the field and I'm used to running with tungstens and some LEDs when I was starting to come up, that's when LEDs were starting to come in. But, you know, I, I like the idea of being able to take things in and out of the studio and being able to just use them constantly, regardless of your power situation. And so, you know, if there's ever a tradeoff that I have to make between, yeah, you'll get X amount of more Lux out of this versus, well, you're not going to be able to use battery power. Mm-hmm. I will always go for the more efficient option because that's keep, that keeps me shooting longer, keeps me shooting further away from anything that I'm doing, and it gives me the greatest range of options. I mean, that's that's really one of the things that I was trying to accomplish with the system when we started development back in wow, twenty fourteen was when we started development on this. Was it's just about options and it's about giving giving the user base all of the options that they possibly can without having to carry gel rolls with them, without having to yeah, yeah. carry a whole bunch of different gear. It's just, oh yeah. You, I, I want you to do your job and I want you to be able to, I want you to be able to work it and work with it and not have to think about it, which was one of the, one of the things we spent a long time developing was the user interface on the actual light. You know, when you're working with CCT, we give you little, step markers that show what the standard color temperature you would see on cameras like we use those same icons on the cello when you start using colors it actually shows you a color spectrum and it gives you a little dial showing you where you are and what you're doing and then it gives you a little preview window so it was all these things i know i've known lights i've dealt with lights and i've dealt with different systems but the ones that I don't have to think about were always the ones that I loved. And if I don't have to relearn a new language to use a piece of equipment, that is always going to go with me because I don't have to think about it. And it just gets me back to work. I don't have to then change my brain and figure out what an engineer was calling the certain thing that I wanted to do.
4: <laughs> and – uh I guess wrapping up a little bit, What um, what's next? Can you talk about what you're thinking about or what, what's anything that's on, on the horizon?
0: So because it's you guys, sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just between us. Yeah, just between yeah. us. No one no, will hear it. So, yeah. well, How long has this one been out? <laughs> so the Tyco has been out for a couple of, uh, it's about a month okay. at this so point. Oh, released. so it is new. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it is brand new. We mm-hmm. are working on a couple of new things. We are working on upgrades. We're looking into technology upgrades um, on a base level, um, mm-hmm. just in terms of Bluetooth, we're going to start moving things to Bluetooth 5. Okay. Some of it might be extended range. We've been playing around with extended range, which puts the range of wireless from 30 feet to 100 feet. So we're, we're playing around with that tech. The okay. biggest new one that's going to come out is actually using the Composer, and it's going to be firmware updates for all of the lighting systems is we're going to release crossfading. In sequence so now what you're going to be able to do is set up one color to the other set up a duration and it will go through a hue spectrum or it will go from a color to a color temperature
7: mm-hmm.
0: it will go one mode to the other effects is a little wonky because that's a completely different system but in terms of color temperature you're now able to set up a smooth transition between mm-hmm. two different settings and who I mean who's Oof, okay. set, who is said who
4: is Using a transition like that for their work. I mean, what, what what's a? I application imagine for event? video pans and things like that, yeah. you could do a I lot. Of stuff. For
0: video, video for yeah. video, and if you're doing live, any sort of live stuff, sure, then, yeah. Then mm. color transition would be good. If you're, if you know, we're at a photography event. So I mean, just thinking about the the setup we have down in the booth right now, it's once again, it's giving you options. options yeah. You can sit there sure. and you can fade in. If you want to set it between two colors specifically, you can do that if you're setting up a photo booth at an event or a wedding or anything like that, you have something that will easily change and shift colors and give you the direction you want. And then you'll be able to control different lights and set off different things at different intervals. So you can really time things down and get it exactly the way you want it.
3: Mm, Sounds good. I have a quick question. Mm? Are there other companies that are copying the uh, multicolored diode thing now? Is that like something you guys are worried about?
0: I mean, it's, is it something I'm worried about constantly? (laughs) (laughs) I got to be honest. But at the same time, there are a couple of things that they, there, there are a couple of things that they've tried to copy and they haven't been able to. Um, The most important part of the base technology is the way that we calculate the light output. And that is actually a patented process and algorithm Ah. developed by the lead engineer and, you know the guy that really put the science and the electrical together. Gotcha. He was the one that came up with the science behind it, and that is that is a Ended. patented tech. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is the user interface. the The user interface they have they have I have seen some of the elements that we built in in other systems. I have seen everybody moving away from just numeric, uh, numerical, like LCD readouts to suddenly everybody has a very nice screen. And some of them, I will be completely honest, have a very, very nice uh, user interface. And some of it I, I wish we had done, but they did it very, very well. And so I've, I've seen us, I've seen the effect that I like to think we are having on the market. I, I like to think we are, I like to, I, I'm seeing us growing and i like to think when it comes to a lot of the competition, we can be a little annoying because we are suddenly a company, we yeah, are suddenly yeah. in the market. it yeah. came up real it. fast. Yeah. We've, we've worked really yeah. hard on this mm-hmm. system. So cool. it is, um, uh, it's been, it's been a labor of love and it's, it's a lot of fun working with the team that I do and building what we do and being able to talk to people about it is always, is always a joy for me.
4: It's right. great cool. to see. It's been it's okay. been great to watch the success from the sidelines too. So Thank congratulations. Okay. Yeah. Casey
1: Luxley and of course it's available at B and H photo. Operators are standing by. Okay, we are back at Depth of Field 2020 here in New York City. Joining us now is Chelsea Kyle, and she's here on behalf of Canon Cameras. She is a food and still-life photographer, and you are doing demos and speaking to all of the eager learners here today, correct?
7: Yes, that is correct.
1: Very good. What was you talk about, if we may ask?
7: It was the basics of photography or food photography, but then also a lot about my process and what I do as an artist and my specific gear setup and – how I navigate the different fields of editorial advertising, et cetera.
1: And had you find your way into food photography? Because that's a very specific...
7: Yes, it is. Uh, it definitely was not what I originally went to school for, but I did go to photo school. Let and... me
1: guess, macro psychology or, or something like that. <laughs> I mean, we've had a lot of doctors and scientists trained photographers come through here lately. Oh, wow. So anyway, I'm sorry,
7: go It's ahead. never <laughs> been science-related, but who knows? Um, yeah. yeah, the... I had an internship outside of school with Boston Magazine. That's where I went to school, New England School of Photography, mm-hmm. which RIP, they're graduating their last class this year.
1: Oh, oh really? It's another one? Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay.
7: But excellent program. And I was able to intern at Boston Magazine when I was there, then got familiar with the food scene in Boston and shooting restaurants and really fell in love with that. And I moved to New York five years ago to take a job at Conde Nost, where I was full-time hmm. with Epicurious and Bon Appetit magazine. So, wow. Oh, so
1: yeah, well, you really are food-oriented
4: there, yes. so that's really <laughs> good. Then, you had a full-time staff job shooting food. I did, yeah, food. and that's then incredible. I quit
7: six months ago, <laughs> and now I'm on my own, and I've got an agent, and it's great. Oh, wow. it's wonderful. It's well. really good.
4: So you're did you do demos today here? Did you set up stuff and shoot it, or, yes, or just more talking about
7: just like about a that? basic setup down there to mm-hmm. show people kind of, you know, what what basic lighting they can do, and talking about composition, uh, camera angles, which lenses Canon has that are best for minimal distortion, and especially with food. Like, I was just talking to people about how I approach shooting food from perspectives that I think think it should look as real as possible. Mm -hmm. And using the equipment to make sure you're not distorting anything, or it, it kind of, the more you're putting the photo into a real scenario, it allows the, f- the viewer to be present with that image and enjoy it.
4: Um, with like with color rendition, and uh, you can talk Canon or compare it to other other you know cameras and other systems. But uh, how important is it for you to be accurate and? Is there an accurate food color, let's say, of an apple or a banana? I mean, is it about getting that apple exactly as close to the red that that apple is, or is there something else you'd kind of look for?
7: I'd say it's less less about the accuracy of the apple Mm -hmm. and more about when does it look appetizing. Mm. Because if anything, food-wise... You can skew warmer or cooler depending on the vibe you're going for, but
1: seems to me you'd want natural, foods. straight color. Really, is what you're going for, right? Uh,
7: yes and no. It depends on when we're trying to like illustrate a story okay. of say like it's the afternoon and this is a meal that you a would romantic have with, dinner like, you want it warmer, yeah, yes. okay, or like morning and it's like you have sun coming through your window and you're illustrating that very like specific color
1: lighting. What are you using strobe or LED? Where are you?
7: I use strobes primarily, yeah. Okay. Um, and I do incorporate a little bit of continuous light when doing motion. There's a lot of need now, especially in the food world, for like an option of a GIF. Or since we're on tripod, we're uh, shooting so many deal. options, like why not just fire a couple where we pull a bite away or take a chip out or something, and like that can easily be turned into another asset. So Got you. Okay. if it's a really fast GIF and they want, I mean, I can still do it with strobes, but there are times where it's easier to use continuous light. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you're not waiting for the strobes to. Sure. 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 Sure.
4: Yeah. Interesting. All right, let's jump over then and talk a little bit about the gear. Uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, um, of course. You're here on behalf of Canon. I guess you've been shooting with Canon for a while. Mm-hmm. Did they come to you? Did you go to them? How, how did the relationship begin?
7: I went to them actually. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, a, a very big advocate for being as involved in the photo community as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, being a part of these events and things like this really helps to encourage other photographers. I know I used to go to them and Mm -hmm. really loved it. And So, yeah, getting involved and then also, like, just being able to be, you know, one step closer to the new products and the things I'm working with. So Mm -hmm. that's important.
4: Anything excites you about what's new in terms of what you might want to get?
7: Yes. Well, Canon just came out with the uh, 1DX Mark III, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. has a couple more frames per second than... Mm -hmm. The previous model, which is huge for me, when I'm like I said, I'm shooting a lot of these stop motion GIFs and being able to either use more frames or have the luxury of having multiple options when you're culling the frames out mm-hmm. to make these gifts, those like little subtleties, huge. yeah, it it really helps to make that process easier. And yeah, I think GIFs being done well, it really you need as much information as possible, and like. Especially with food and drinks, there's so much like micro movements happening. That mm-hmm. yeah, yeah notice
4: and on, on just in glancing at your uh, Instagram, there's a couple of really nice shots of, of liquid movements and things like that that you really I'm captured well. Very yeah. big
7: in the splashes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
4: that's good. That's how you have to be able to. Pre- I mean, who wants to just see the 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 drink just sitting there in the cup? Nobody. Exactly.
7: Yeah, yeah, yeah Make yeah. it interesting.
4: Right, so, so you generally always shoot with with the the flagship big cameras uh, uh yeah
7: the yeah. well that for the 1dx for um motion or gifts, but the 5ds is my primary studio camera oh, okay. because of the fact that the 50 megapixel sensor really helps me i work for a lot of editorial companies i work for a lot of people who are doing social media doing social media ads sometimes these photos have to be repurposed in a bajillion different ways they're getting cropped four by fives and their banner is a 10 by one and then there's something else and having that file quality and being able to crop so much on these images and still have such an incredible image is just been like a game changer for my process
4: Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. are you called upon to kind of know what they're going to be doing with these photos ahead of time or do you kind of just pass over the package and then let them work it out later if they're going to put it to
7: I'd say mm-hmm. a lot of it's workshopped on set. Mm-hmm. So it's it's stuff that like I will know and have to plan for. I don't think that – it's never like handing off a, just a large file and letting them go crazy with it. But I think it's more of like a thing that I'm able to offer them mm-hmm. as a solution to a crazy shot list. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> like yeah, we yeah. can skim the fat here and use this image twice and gotcha. do that. That's gotcha. it.
4: That's gotcha. it. So you're working with the editors as well and and the designers often. Oh, that's great. Definitely. And I guess that comes from being on staff. That gave you some of that experience because you guys were all in the same space and and working regularly like that. Interesting. Yes. When
7: I was at Condé, I was uh, shooting, producing. I was Mm. part of from the ideas being created to mm. me actually making the shoot happen so concept
4: to completion yeah, yeah
7: it was a lot <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: And that's great that's wonderful and also rare right I mean in mm-hmm. this day and age to, to have a staff job is wonderful um, yeah. as yes, you walk away is. from it yeah. <laughs> but, but that's because you you're good um, <laughs> that's great And uh, lens wise what do you normally shoot with what you go to and what are you uh, what are you hoping to use in the future?
7: Yeah well my two favorites are the 24 to 70 and yeah. the 85 millimeter. Uh, I would say I'd probably off the bat go with 85, uh, just because it's so sharp. Again, that distortion factor is very little, and I don't really have to worry about putting things in the corner and then them getting crazy. Um, the only problem is the distance. So when yeah. I get closer than two feet, I'm switching to the 24 or 70.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you, you: you with distortion, have you tried any of the uh, um, perspective lenses? The yes. Canon mix—they make a great selection. They do. And did that work for you? would—it's—it's
7: it's definitely doable in a t- in a situation where I have more time. Hmm. A lot of times, it's I think it's it's the fast-moving pace of the. Yeah, but if set. you're shooting
1: still life, I mean. <laughs>
7: Oh, you wouldn't believe how fast people go uh, Okay, things. all right. I've got like 10 well, minutes. Well, that's true. You <laughs> go you, 20 frames a second, man.
1: You should be able to get that job done in <laughs> le- under 30 seconds, <laughs> yeah. start to finish, including setup. And so, so you were
4: kind of at the at the mercy, as it were, of the food preparers and yes. the cooks and who's ever doing that work. And they're saying, okay, it's ready. You shoot it now. And that's that, right?
7: Yes. Yeah. Um, right. I was talking about that today in my presentation a lot is that it's – my entire works workflow and setup revolves around the food mm-hmm. because food dies quickly mm-hmm. ice cream melts drinks right. melt right. things are falling apart on set and I need to be ready as soon as the food's ready and you can never predict when it's ready so mm-hmm. it's it's definitely um and I think that that has changed because of technology where it used to be and people are always asking is the food real and nowadays it pretty much always is real there multiple occasions where like a fake ice cream hmm. is made because of like specific time constraints or something. But it used to be that food was always fake and had to be plastered and using oils that are mm-hmm. like for your car instead of the kitchen mm-hmm. and that stuff. But because we can move faster with equipment and be prepared and have live view and mm-hmm. all these cool things mm-hmm. that it's a lot easier to to do real food. But now.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that quite often for food photography, the food itself isn't even prepared to be eaten. It's prepared to be photographed. Sometimes. Okay.
7: I'd say like maybe 20% of the time.
1: That's all. Oh, okay.
7: Most of the time it's completely edible. The only thing it might be missing is salt because why waste the salt if you're not going to see it?
1: True. Okay. I know the best way of making grapes look nice and fresh with that little bit of frosting on it is sure deodorant. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> that's what I was told by a food photography. We use it all the time. Makes the grapes look great. Oh, I
7: haven't used much deodorant. I'll have to try. <laughs> <it out. laughs>
4: <laughs> All right. <laughs> it would t- t- take it out of context. That could be uh, <laughs> damaging.
3: <laughs> uh,
4: and uh, so the 85 is one is of your go-tos, and then you're happy with the, with the zoom, the twenty-four seventy. Yes. Uh, macro lenses, do you yes. get in, to, in close with those? Um,
7: the 100, mm-hmm. I use a lot, mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. for macro stuff. Yeah. Uh, great for drinks. and.
4: Do you shoot motion, or is it always GIF that comes out of individual cells?
7: I'm not very often shooting mo- yeah. motion like traditionally. Yeah, yeah. I have made a lot of cinemagraphs, mm. which That's interesting. when I started making them in 2015, it took a lot of convincing because I told my, you know, my editorial staff that like we had to have a crazy budget to shoot like four cinemagraphs a day and because it, it's just such a crazy process from, I think we ended up like at the end of the day taking it through like eight different programs to get it down. And these are for like huge websites for a Connie Knott's publication. So after you're shooting with a red and then you go to, you know, process this thing down and essentially photoshopping, stitching the video and the still together and bringing it through all these softwares and then getting it down to four megabytes. Cinemagraphs are great for food because it's kind of creepy when you use models. Hmm. It was like if the cinemagraphs I've seen of models, it's like they're stuck in this frozen pose and then their hair is like blowing Yeah, and you're like, well, this yeah. is kind of weird. Yeah. Like, so are the, those are drinks. eventually
3: gifts too, right? This, a cinemagraph. Yeah.
7: Yes. The yeah, file so it, right? can yeah. also be a gift, but right. yeah, I, I think I ended up having to create a container file to put them on the site at like four megs. It was.
3: So what's the difference lot. between a cinemagraph and a stop motion?
7: The cinematograph is forever looping. You wouldn't be able to s- – you don't have a stop and a start that you can oh. see well. Yeah, it's
1: really hard to find. Every once in a while you see when that wasn't done well, but that's, yeah, that's the difference.
3: They're yeah. just forever. It just yeah. looks like a loop yeah. yeah, a smooth one, yeah. Oh, it's real smooth. Yeah. Where stop motion is kind of – Kind of jittery, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with it, there's more frames? Is that what it is? Or is, or is it – it, it's not video, right?
7: It is. Um, well, in the case that we shot them, we had to shoot video because there were, like, some that were, like, have waffles with, like, syrup dripping. And we had to slow that video down to get that, like, luscious drop. And then you essentially are shooting it a bunch of times and waiting for, like, the perfect – drop that happens and stops that you can like start again. So like sifting through every single drip and like finding that like 5 second clip that can then loop forever.
3: Oh so you're just, you're it's a looped video basically.
7: Yeah, and then there there are programs that allow you to kind of blend the two where you can like crossfade almost and yeah. like it's kind of it's subtle enough that you wouldn't notice in some things like I have another one where like we're pouring milk into coffee and it's like it just kind of blends nicely that like you don't notice that it's like starting and stopping again and blending into itself.
4: Um, I'm assuming you're shooting everything on a tripod. And oh yeah. What do you use? And and what's your thoughts on tripods compared to other versions yes. of support?
7: I am obsessed with phobas.
4: Mm. They oh, are boy. my okay. yeah. go-to. Because mm-hmm.
7: they, I mean, there are so many times where I'm in situations where I have to stitch images together because the food is perfect, but we need the drink to be. You know, the food already died while we were trying to do something else, but we have it in a previous shot, so we get the drinks right and combines together. Right. Yeah. Um Phobas are great because I can't – I mean, like, my assistant can fall on it and it won't move. Like, it's it's <laughs> great. <Yeah>. The phoba <laughs> ball head is
1: probably one of the best ball heads ever made. They're Boku bucks, but they, they're they yeah. perfect. They're really nice. They really, really are.
7: really hard to get through doorways. That was – uh when I was working at County house we had – uh, this one room off of a studio that like whenever the studio is busy you could also shoot there but phoba had to be brought into this room so we had to bring it through like four different doorways and I was really jacked during that time <laughs> <laughs> constantly moving phobas all day
1: well if you get uh, enough momentum you just push them right through the wall yes, they'll go through concrete cinder blocks yeah, yeah on
7: the 35th floor of the World Trade Center great <laughs> <laughs> oh that's right that's um, yeah and then I love the gearheads um as uh tripod heads um mm-hmm. Manfrotto 405 is mostly what yeah, I have Yeah, I used that
1: one a lot. Those are really nice. It's
7: really smooth. Mm-hmm. The you know the precision and adjustments you can make with yeah. it are really really great.
1: And for what you're doing, you you do need a geared head. You can't just estimate and then lock it down. It doesn't mm-hmm. work that well because as soon as you lock it down, it's moved. Yep. Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Sure. And the 405 is a nice unit.
7: Yeah. Okay. Definitely.
1: Cool. So, Chelsea, if people want to see more of your work, uh, where yeah. should they go?
7: Uh, my website is chelseakyle.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's spelled like Chelsea in New York, C H E L S E A. Um, and my Instagram is Chelsea Louise Kyle.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And worth taking a look at. Yeah, check yeah. it out. It's great. And
7: also on my agent's site, Hello yeah. Artists.
1: Hello okay. Artists? Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. All right. Chelsea Carl, thank you for spending time thank with us today. Thank you,
7: guys. It's such a blast to be here. My first podcast. Right. Cool. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks.
1: Our next guest has been called many things. We're just going to call him Mark Farb.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Mark (laughs) from
1: Sigma. Anyway, Mark, you are a return guest to our show. It is like, what, the third time you've been with us already? At least. At least. And you're with us uh, at all of the Depth of Field and Optics shows. Uh, You're a regular here. Anyway, uh, what's happening? Uh, What's some new toys coming out with
9: well, actually, the latest product that we have is the FP camera. Yes. So this is part of the L-mount alliance between uh, Panasonic and also Leica. So it's using that that L-mount lens Yes. A, on a totally new platform camera, which is kind of interesting, unique, and cool altogether. Um, it's the smallest mirrorless camera body on the market right, right. now. Mm-hmm. And it's um, 24 megapixel still camera. Full frame. Full frame. And not Foveon. Not Foveon yet. Um, mm. As Well, there was an, an announcement for the delay of the Foveon version of it uh, that was supposed to come out this year. Uh, Kazuto Yamaki actually just put out a release saying, not yet. It's not ready for primetime. We don't know time-wise when the Foveon version of the full-frame sensor will be coming out. Um, so currently what we have is the 24-megapixel full-frame sensor camera, mm-hmm. and it does 4K cinema. So you can actually do 4K DNG raw uh, in 8-bit. Or if you want to bring it down, uh, you could actually do 12-bit uh, in some lower resolutions, which is kind of cool. Uh, we've actually had a couple of firmware updates to to work out a couple of little tweaks here and there. I know there's supposed to be another firmware update coming, which has tons of interesting things, which we, we haven't gotten all the details. But I know it's supposed to be really chock full of good stuff. Uh, The the camera is really cool and amazing because you could use it as a still camera, as a cine camera. You can accessorize it with a cage, without the cage. You can use it as a pocket camera to walk around. Uh, Right now, we're selling it as a camera body only or as a kit with the 45 millimeter uh, lens, which the the reception on this 45 millimeter lens is absolutely astounding. It's a tiny little lens, and it's incredibly sharp. It's got a mechanical uh, aperture control on top of it, kind of like the film days, which Mm -hmm. is really neat. But you can also click it back over like the old FD cameras into auto mode and have full auto capability from the camera, which is also kind of neat. You've got ISO ranges in the lower ranges from 6 all the way up to like 114,000, 120,000 or something like that. Um, I've done a few images with higher ISO ranges and they're breathtakingly clean. Um, So I I just got my sample not too long ago, so I'm still kind of playing and working out what I can do with it. The fact that I can record to an SD card or I can actually plug in an external hard drive and record much longer videos or stills. So for I would say, I like to do panoramas, and I'm not talking like one or two frames. Mm -hmm. I'm talking like four or 500 frame panoramas. Mm -hmm. So I can actually go out with a terabyte, two terabytes, and shoot an entire night and not worry about... 14 different cards and, oh, did I mix this card or that card? Um, The fact that I can put from 14 millimeters on up to 600 millimeters in focal length right out of the gate. Uh, We've got about 12 lenses readily available in in direct L-mount. We have another adapter, the MC21, which is just like the MC11. So Mm -hmm. you're able to put on all all the Canon EF-mount lenses in the lineup. So the zoom lenses that aren't available yet in L-mount can be put onto the camera. We have two new zooms that, that are in the L mount and also in the Sony mount for the 1424 F28 and also the 2470 F28. Mm-hmm. So they're half the size of the traditional lenses, which is kind of mind bending to most of the people that have picked them up so far. Quality is, is right on par with everything else that we've made. Um, it's, it's been an interesting ride for the last several years. I mean, since we've introduced the art, sport, and contemporary line of lenses. Yeah, you guys uh, have exploded. You yeah. got it is. There's there's not a dog in the bunch. No. And they no. are, one is sharper than the next, and I keep getting asked the question of, well, which is my favorite? And the hard question to answer, or the hard answer is, well, what am I shooting today? So I've got an arsenal of lenses. I can reach into the bag and say, I've got the right lens for the right job. And then on top of which, you've got the cinema lenses. Mm-hmm, so... Mm-hmm which are all the, the glasses from the art series lenses so they're all color matched they they're dynamite is, the, um, is there a roadmap for the
4: for the art lenses at this point is there anything left to be done i think you've there, gotten there there is no roadmap the, yeah. from
9: japan which yeah. is again something that's not easy to work with yeah. because we get questions all the time and people sure. look at like look at me like I'm lying to them. Like no, really, it's when it arrives here, sell this.
1: I'm personally waiting for
9: the twelve to six hundred millimeter one for, the one that's only three inches long, <laughs> made yeah. of an uh, un- Yeah, 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 yes.
3: Yeah, yeah.
5: yes. Yeah. God, that's a
3: lot <laughs> of the vendors, a lot of the vendors are like that though, right? I mean, yeah. where, you know, they don't tell you what's what's coming until it's here. For the most part, they I mean,
9: the the the, the manufacturers tend to be a little tight-lipped, and especially in the more recent years. There are always leaks that happen somewhere along the lines, but uh, it would be interesting to see a roadmap of what they're thinking as far as longevity. The only thing that, that I know or was told is that within a year of the release of the FP camera, pretty much there should be 78 lens choices available for oh, the system. okay. So that, that's pretty inc- incredible for an entire system to, to have that much oh. access.
5: I want to come
1: back to the FP, because I think it's interesting that it's being advertised as the world's smallest full-frame mirrorless. mirrorless camera. To me, the idea of this camera is that it's really the first modular camera, in a sense, to come out. And the camera, it's real tiny, but that's only part of the picture because, again, like you said, what are you using it for? If you're using it for cinema you there's a cage you could put anything on it it's it's designed to be built upon at that point it's no longer
9: small correct
1: you know it's like any tiny camera you put it 70 to 200 on guess what <laughs> it's not small anymore well that's
9: like if you're doing production video and you go in to buy a red the red body is tiny yeah now all of a sudden you throw on um whether it's a Canon Zoom, Ingenu, Cook, or something like that, suddenly you just added a three foot lens to the front yeah, of that camera. And then you got
1: the monitors and you got the order and you got everything. before you know it, you're carrying a Volvo. Right, exactly. Yeah.
9: And uh, this is no different. Okay. And like any other camera body, you go into a store, you go to buy the camera body, and then you decide, okay, well, which, what direction am I going? Am I going to be a sports photographer? Am I going to do journalism? Am I going to do street photography? What do I want? Personally, I would love to see some more small, tiny, pancake-style lenses. Mm-hmm. If they happen, no one knows. Um, John's looking for one. If you yeah, come across yeah. it. I tell you, I mean, again, yeah, like Sigma. I I just worked with a customer yeah. this morning, and she yeah. she insisted that she needed, she wanted the FP, but she wanted lenses even tinier than the 45. Like mm. mean, to be quite honest, uh, it's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, not without an adapter, not without going manual focus, and you're kind of looking to do street photography on the fly. 45 is your only choice right now. Um, It's not a bad choice. It's a great choice, as a matter of fact. But she wanted something even smaller, less conspicuous. I'm like, well, that doesn't really exist right now. You're, you're one of millions of people who are asking for the ultimate camera lens combination. That I
1: think, what are, I think Minox makes this tiny little two megapixel thing.
9: <laughs> it's like the size of a a, a
1: coin or with a key. the sixteen millimeter film.
4: Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. What, what are people asking for lens wise? I'm thinking, and and art, art series wise, is there something that is kind of glaringly? Is there a gap somewhere?
9: Uh, I mean. I, Obviously, people want more macro lenses. Mm. Right now, we, we only have the 70 millimeter macro is, which is a true art lens. Mm-hmm. The 105, which is the predecessor to all the the art, sport, and contemporary glass, uh, is still left in the lineup. But suddenly, you discontinue, you know, a 150 to 180 macro, and all everybody comes out of the work. Oh, I they want, want a one. Macro. Yeah. Oh, I want I want a long macro. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was also a really really fine lens. And both a- an amazingly amazing. good lens. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, even the, the older versions pre-stabilization were, were amazing yeah. because of the size. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Once they had stabilizers, it, the lens tremendously increased in size. But that's, again, people want smaller, lighter, and they, they don't want to carry something like that. So they, they don't remember the days of film when you had an RB6.7 and three lenses, and it was 40 pounds of gear by itself. Mm-hmm. Forgetting the film backs, forgetting the rolls of film, forgetting the train case, uh, and all the other stuff that went along with it. Um, so people have gotten a little spoiled in that respect.
4: What's up with the TV cameras? They're, they're still making them? They're, they're still, still out there. Out? They're still they're there. Still, okay, good.
9: Very, again, the Sigma uh, Foveon clientele. Mm. Uh, there's a very, very devout fan base. Um, they are very rabid fans, which is cool. Uh, I, I belong to a bunch of those social platforms, and I love seeing the images. I love listening to the chatter back and forth. Um, again, you know, the thing about the Foveon chip it. It produces incredible images. You just have to take your time. Yeah, it's not necessarily going to replace. It's not a speed camera, exactly. but it's an
1: interesting camera, and I've used them on a couple of occasions. And I, I, I'll tell you, the, the image quality is pretty remarkable. I used to have trouble with the Reds. Yeah, my understanding is that the Reds are better now. Yeah. Okay. But um, the whole concept, I, I happen to love.
9: I really yeah. do. So uh, again, it's one of those depending on your conditions and what you're willing to do to create your imagery. Uh, they are dynamite little cameras. And even the um, the bigger, the quattro interchangeable lens platform, again, you've got to understand what you're working with. You're not going to take a, a medium format camera and go shoot a football game because that's, it's not designed for that. If you do and you want to stage an image or you know that you're going to painstakingly wait for that one shot and take your chances, well, good luck. And it, you can make it happen, but you're not walking away with 10,000 frames.
1: Mark, last night I was at an opening of a show, a guy who shoots – uh, Formula One racing with a 1913
9: Graflex. You see He's getting the great, but that's a whole other story. But, uh, but again, yeah, <laughs> it's it's one frame and yes. in, in an hour, and uh. it, it took him an hour. It's five <laughs> laps before he figured, okay, where's my point of focus, and then it's one frame and. It's either I got it or I don't.
4: Is there uh, <laughs> anything else? Any other new gear? New lenses? Do anything else you want to throw at us?
9: Um, or, honestly, with yeah. I mean, you've got the 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 Sony E mount, mm-hmm. um, the fourteen twenty four and and the 70 to 2470. Mm-hmm. Um Everybody keeps asking for seventy to two hundred. We don't have that yet. Mm, be um, next. Yeah. Again, it's what one else? of those that we're we're waiting for it on bated breath, but we don't right. know. Right, right, right. You right, right. um,
4: talking about for the E mount? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So
9: you got the tw- you get the
4: the first two, and then you get the but, next yeah, one. Yeah, I
9: mean, it's I'll, I carry the fourteen twenty four and three different mounts in my backpack because mm. it's that important of a lens to me. Okay, um, I, I love it. It's it is probably one of my first go to lenses for most of a lot most of what I'm shooting so these days. So the
4: three mounts are the E mount, e Canon, mount, nope, no E mount Nikon, Nikon and, and now the L mount and L mount. Okay,
9: what about the SA mount? I mean, it's not going away that I'm aware of, yeah. but it's Again, it's proprietary, too, with the Sigma cameras. So as long as those quattros remain in production, they're there. They're there.
4: Great. Okay.
1: You know, you've been on the show several times now, and I don't think we've actually discussed your work. And I think it's important to mention that we have a lot of representatives from different camera companies and lens manufacturers on our podcast. Mark happens to be a very good photographer, uh, and you specialize in a lot of aviation stuff. And I've seen you jumping out of planes many times. <laughs> I uh, haven't jumped no, yet. Y- you
9: haven't jumped yet. I haven't jumped yet.
1: You mean you miss? Mis- you stand by the door, making believe.
9: Well, not making believe. It's I'm I'm he tethered to out. the doorway. Oh, oh, oh. Okay, all right. <laughs> so, uh, with with the experiences that I've had over the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot more of the aviation, which. Is, again, become a first love. I and, love and a
1: lot of other stuff. I mean, you use the gear and you're good oh, yeah. with it. You're actually a very good photographer. Thank you. Which I can't say about a lot of the other reps that come through here. <laughs> <laughs> Look what I took with this picture. Oh, that's great. No, your
9: stuff is really, really nice. Thank you. It really you. feels good. Um, I, I, I very much appreciate that. Mark, thank you so much for joining us again. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me again.
1: Pleasure. Thanks, Mark. We're here with uh, Jason from Sony. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you are a return guest. You've been with us before, right? I have, unfortunately. No. <laughs> <laughs> almost a year ago, if not exactly. That's right. Anyway, uh, Sony's had some uh, pretty cool products this past year. The A Seven R Four is out, and a few uh, some new lenses and stuff. Tell us about. uh, By the way, a a whole bunch was upgraded in my department this past year. I want you to know that. Oh, great!
6: Great. I hope all happily. Yes, we're all very happy people. Good, good.
1: (laughs) So, anyway, so what's cooking over at Sony? What you got that's new?
6: Yeah, I mean, rounding out the end of last year, we were really, really busy. Obviously, we seven R four, and then that one camera of the year from DP Mm -hmm. Reviews. That was. You know, lights out. The camera itself was amazing, and then you get the publicity behind it, and boom, just nonstop. Phone won't stop ringing.
3: It's kind of the it camera, I think, right now. Well, general, it hits yeah.
6: so many niche markets. Like it's, it's amazing for video. It's amazing for stills. It's amazing. Like if you use wildlife, you have so much extra resolution for cropping. Like it's just, it's the right tool for so many different jobs that it ends up being so popular. And then we piggyback that and announce the A 92 mm-hmm, which which. Mm-hmm. Originally, I think you know the plan was, okay, well, this is going to be like a nice upgrade for some, and it's really geared towards like the Olympic shooters. But then everyone was like, well, I want all of these features too. And so it ended up selling just amazingly, and it's it's been nonstop good press. Because they really took what was amazing about the A9 and just tweaked the couple things that people want to change, some mm-hmm. ergonomics, you know, a couple, literally n- nothing giantly major. Um, but all of those added up to a major enough upgrade that people are, are, are super excited about it, myself included. I, that that camera I, I never leaves my bag.
3: So that that's your main camera,
6: yeah. The Alpha Nine Mark II is 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 my main camera. I don't I don't have as much need currently for super high resolution because I'm not doing much printing and I don't crop so much. I do a lot of it in camera. I also have the added uh, ability to have all the lenses from Sony, so I didn't have to buy them. <laughs> nice little so, advantage you got yeah, there. Yeah, for sure. So I'm a little spoiled there, but um, you're just like, what's the most expensive one? That's, that's <laughs> the one. Yeah.
1: yeah. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. What a life. Now, when the Alpha. 7R4 came out. Uh, Obviously, 61 megapixels. That's a pretty big deal. Yes. Um, How many people are still sticking to the 3, which is 42? 42. Because I know, for me, I mean, I I, I upgraded this year. I had a 2, and I was going to go to the 4 and I I'd actually decided to go to 3 because I didn't want one really have these monstrous files. Is that a big yeah. issue for issue for a lot of people or wh- how has it been breaking down? Yeah,
6: I mean I, I wouldn't call it as an issue quote because like the 3 is still very much current. So the oh, it's a beautiful seven, um, camera, yeah. Yeah, it, and so it's just kind of another tool in the arsenal. Mm-hmm. Some people want super high resolution. They need more resolution for whether it be cropping purposes or large printing or they just want super, super detail, you know, depending on w- what they're doing, fine art or something, mm-hmm. or landscape. So you do a lot of wide-angle landscape stuff. You you need each little pixel to pick up every little detail. So for those people, the, the R4 is an amazing camera. Um, but the R3 is still current because some people don't want 61 megapixel images. Like, the files are big. They're going to fill up your car. They're going to fill up your computer. So you have to be slow everything. ready yeah, for that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's and a so major th- upgrade. Yeah. The R3 is still... Killer camera, 42 megapixel, it hits a, a very specific market that, like, that resolution seems to have, where most cameras seem to have kept, you know, previous generations. Everything was like right around that 40 mark. And that, that would hit the mark for so many people for their needs. So they're both very much current, you know, it, it's the R4 um he brought with it some of those ergonomic upgrades that we There were some different yeah, yeah absolutely but yeah. nothing nothing giant like that the big difference was the resolution and it has some tweaks to the autofocus system it, it can do the real time tracking um and so that was a, a big advantage for some as well but if if you bought an R3 obviously it's still very much an oh, amazing yeah, camera yeah, yeah, and yeah. honestly one of the things i was most excited about when we announced the R4 at 3500 was that the R3 dropped to 2500 and so to me the R3 just 2 weeks before we announced the R4 was like one of the best cameras you can get at $3,500, and it was killing the competition and all this. And then they announced the R4. The R3 drops to $2,500. I'm like, that's that's the greatest thing ever. You can now get an an, Ace, an Alpha 7 R3 for $2,499. You can't beat that.
1: So this is one of the few product intros where I've noticed that there's a lot of debate amongst uh, people between buying the replacement camera and the one it's being replaced we stick with the 3 or go to the four, and it has to do a lot of it. Have to do with basically the size of the sensor and the amount of uh, 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 data that's being recorded. I know for me, one of my considerations was I do not feel like upgrading my computer and getting bigger, faster cards all over again. Um, and I was good with my A seven R two. So to hear, it was just I got some good improvements. I already knew what the sensor did. But mean, it was interesting that that worked out that way.
6: Yeah, it's all having the right tool for the right exactly. job. Exactly, and like the. The seven R four didn't like replace the seven R thir- three. It, it, right. it, they're now both in line. So, exactly, it's like kind of just another option for those people. And and there's a number of factors that would weigh into that. And one of them is the right camera for you. For you, and and, and there, there were so many things. And people would I would see them at the B and H kind of asking those exact questions. Mm-hmm. Well, this one's better, right? Because it's newer no, this, it has some things that are better. You might like, this might fit better there. It was, it was just finding the right tool for the right exactly. job. Exactly. Yep. I, I have a quick
3: question. Are you fine? Are you guys finding that uh, medium format um, users are, are seeking the A7R4 rather than buying a new medium format camera just because of the uh, you know the crazy resolution?
6: Yeah, it's actually a great question. Cause, cause that's the thing. Medium format people have always been kind of a, a level above. They, they viewed traditional DSLR form factors, what mirrorless or not, um, as you know, lesser than, because medium format was was this step up. Um and this A7 Alpha 7R4 is is the first camera that kind of peaked their radar as whoa, we're talking about some serious resolution. And then you mix that with um, its capabilities to do the 16 shot pixel shift, giving you, you know, mm-hmm, a 140 megapixel mm-hmm. image with more color information. And so all of a sudden they were realizing, okay, well, so the resolution's there. And then they started to realize all the things they can't do with their medium format body, as far as um, just sheer flexibility, the size, but speed. also the speed, the autofocus capabilities Agility. yeah, like you name it. There are you know, nobody bought a, multi, a medium format camera for any of those things, it was just the, the image quality. So now we offer a camera that has very high end image quality with all those extra bonuses. So, yeah, I've been getting lots of calls from studios who've primarily been only medium format, they've never even called anyone who made a, a 35 millimeter. Sensor, um, and they're like, "Would you mind coming in and showing us what you got? Because we're we're trying to do these different shots we've never been able to do with the medium format body, and now we're, we we want to see if your image quality is up to snuff because they want all those other benefits."
3: Yeah, that's so much more agile.
1: Than oh the, my god! Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Now, one thing you you'll never be able to do is is replicate the look of a larger format with the optical look and stuff. There's always a little bit different of a look, but as far as tonality and sharpness and grain, and all that, I mean, you're you're there. There's no two ways about it.
6: And it it, it the, the look is different, but like. It also depends what they're in. So many of these studios, their end product ends up being Instagram or Facebook anyway. Yeah, (laughs) I
1: know, I know. Yeah. Uh, Now, here's something that uh, uh, is another issue that I try to tell people when they start looking at cameras above 40 megapixels, that how good are your lenses? Because these cameras now, when you start getting to 50, 60 megapixels, your your lenses have to be absolute prime because uh, there, i have a few lenses in my own arsenal that i used to love and trust and they were the best they're not the best anymore because my sensor
6: is out resolving them yeah that's and that's that's more of a problem for the older brands that have been making lenses for so long that they kind of didn't see where it was headed in the future and it, it's hard to future-proof everything um so that's kind of a, a funny advantage sony had that because we were just started making the E line of lenses, the E mount line of lenses. Mm-hmm. Recently, they were already thinking, "Well, okay." And plus, Sony makes sensors. I don't. Did you know that Sony makes image sensors? Yeah, yeah <laughs> we've been, we've been known yeah, to yeah. dabble. So I <laughs> yeah. think they had. Every a, once in a while, you sell them to other companies yeah, you know, too. I've noticed. Yes. So I think they had kind of a better perspective of, okay, we know where this could go. So let's just even from the beginning, like we were just talking about some lenses like the fifty-five one-eight, for example. It's one of my favorite lenses we make. I use it all the time. It focuses fast. It's crazy sharp. It's literally one of the first lenses we made in the e-mount line. And it, it holds up on 61 megapixel. Like these lenses were made to handle that. But yeah, to your point, there's older companies that when these lenses came out, they were for film. They didn't have digital at all. And then digital was three megapixels, six megapixel. We're now 10 years removed from that. The game has changed in a way that I think a lot of these engineers couldn't have even imagined when they first designed, you know, autofocus lenses.
1: Well, even the Spheric Surfaces, one of the reasons why they're so common right now is they started coming about in the film days because film pro- f- film technology was getting to a point where the manufacturers saying, you know, the film is better than our lenses now we have to... <laughs> Do something else. And that's when the spheric surfaces started to coming into it because they they feel they have to start tweaking the optics mm. to keep up with the film technology. And now digital just goes way beyond that. Oh, yeah. So it really it's up the ante. Um, anything new coming down the pike that you could tell us about? Actually, you know, even if you can't tell us about it, you could tell us because we won't tell anybody about
6: oh, it. Oh, okay, good. Mics, right. mics are off. Yeah, this is, yeah. yeah <laughs> this is all, this is safe room, so oh, anything uh, you yeah. could tell
3: us about? The only people that listen to this thing is us anyway,
6: so. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I don't even have headphones on. I haven't been listening either. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, yeah I don't know what John's doing. He's like staring out the window. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the first person in this chair to say this, but I, I obviously can't speak about future products. Um, <laughs> yeah. But does
1: it's not going st- to stop us from trying, though. Of course. I, I,
6: I, I respect the question. Yeah. Um, but, no, I mean, we're, we're, we're just coming off the release of the, the Alpha 9 Two, So, right now, that's all I can think of. Okay. All
1: right. Um, now, so, one, uh, just for my th- any chance at all, and uh, obviously you can't answer this, I already know. Um, I love that RX1, but I need a wider lens on it. The RX1R? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a sweet look. That's a great look camera. It is. I need wider than thirty-five, though. Are you, are you guys gonna are you gonna do anything? I'll All get right. right on it. I'll okay. Right on. I've, had, right. I've, okay. Heard,
6: I've heard many things about that. Like I, I would love to see a refresh of that camera. Like yeah, I, I know it's, it's an amazing camera, and to this day, still people rave about it. The image quality is amazing. The yep. the way it, the if you've ever seen one taken apart, the way the the rear element of the lens butts right up against the sensor, it's it's super super cool. Um, but yeah, I would love to see. I've always wanted like one with a. Like a variable, like remember those old Michael lenses that had like two focal lengths? The tri, like, yeah, tri-, yeah, the, the, the tri- three, yeah, yes. Like, I would love something like that, yes, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I've, I've, I've sent that up up the chain before,
1: yeah. Well, now that's two of us saying it's and um, that's oh. twice as many people. We've oh.
6: doubled the, the demand, that'd be great. Let's let's hit him again. No, nah, for right now, that that <laughs> is the current camera, and I, I have no idea what they plan, but um, we can hope, yes, we can. All
1: right. Okay, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Sony cameras are wonderful. They've certainly changed the industry. No two ways about that. Thank all you. Right. Okay. okay, so that's a wrap of today's episode. And again, today was Depth of Field 2020, uh, hosted by B&H and sponsored by Canon, Nikon, Sony, Profoto, Sigma, and HP. We appreciate all of their help uh, in bringing this uh, conference to fruition and in future episodes, we're going to be speaking with several of the speakers who we here at the Depth of Field Conference uh, to find out what they're up to and the kind of work that they're doing and new trends in photography. My name is Alan Weitz, and on behalf of Jason and John, bye-bye.